Good morrow, friends. I'm Jordan, and this is Not Strictly History. Hello, my wonderful, wonderful friends. It's great to be with you today. Um, Before we begin, I would just like to say I have noticed that my audio quality in the last couple of episodes, and by that I mean my last bonus episode, was really weird. And I actually don't know why, because I was sitting in my living room recording on my microphone, which is something that I do. Um, So I'm sorry if any of you noticed that. (laughs) This is me pretending that people listen to my bonus episodes. Um, Today I'm sitting in my bedroom recording on my microphone, which is something I usually do. So hopefully the audio quality is perfect in schlag and we can all move on and have a lovely time. So first of all, I would just like to kind of apologize, but not really apologize. Last week was a pretty heavy episode. I did get very upset a lot of you probably got upset as well. Um, Juana's story is very, very sad. So as I promised this week, we're going to be doing something fun. And it's something that I am just out of this world excited for. Like I, I am so excited, guys. I am so excited about today's episode because, drum roll please, today we're talking about a movie. That's right, my friends. That's right. It is the second episode of Not Strictly History that is Not Strictly History. Now, we've done quite a few history episodes in a row. So, just to be awesome, we're going to do quite a few Not Strictly... English is so hard. Let me try again. Just so that I can feel really cool, we're going to do several Not Strictly History episodes right in a row. And we're going to start off with a movie. Now, listen. I've been really, really excited to talk about movies on this podcast. I've been so excited, really. But it's actually, it's been really, really hard because to to just pick one, basically, is the problem. I love movies. Huge movie buff. Grew up watching movies constantly. So, I mean, what, right? Like, how was I supposed to pick a movie to start with? But I'm excited about the movie that I picked because it's great. It's a classic. And not only that, I have a ton to say about it. So without further ado, today we are talking about Pretty in Pink. Woo-hoo-hoo. It is a classic coming-of-age 80s movie that, again, many of you probably have at least heard of if you haven't seen it. So Pretty in Pink. I saw this movie when I was about 17, I think. So the perfect time to see a coming-of-age movie. And when I saw it, I absolutely loved it. Like, like loved it. And because it was back in the day, I borrowed the DVD from a friend and then I had to like immediately go out and buy my own copy. Those were the days, guys. Those were the days. Anyway, I loved it and I immediately got my own copy. Since then, my younger sister has acquired her own copy and since then streaming has also become much more of a thing. So since then, she and I have come to just love this movie even more and it's, it's become very fully incorporated into our life, and by that I mean into our repertoire of movie quotes and just into the culture of our, of our life. And so I'm really excited to talk about it because, again, not only is this our very first movie, but it's a movie that I've been watching for a long time. And like I said earlier, it's a movie I've got a lot to say about, so we're going to get into it. So we need to start off talking about Pretty in Pink by laying the groundwork. We need to talk about some of the general facts of the film, etc. So, Pretty in Pink was released in the year 1986. It stars Molly Ringwald, of course, Andrew McCarthy, and John Cryer. If you've ever seen the cover of the movie, it has all three of them on the front looking really moody, and sometimes it's a mixture of gray and pink. When the movie was released, it did well. It ended up grossing $40.5 million during its theatrical run. So, no, it wasn't, like, outstanding, but for a coming-of-age teenage film, it did exactly what it was supposed to do, and it was lovely. So, maybe the most important fact about this film is that it was written by the one and only John Hughes. And even if you think you don't know who John Hughes is, you know exactly who John Hughes is. He is the absolutely iconic writer of every single coming-of-age 80s movie that you know and love. Pretty in Pink, obviously. He also wrote 16 Candles, which is high-key a terrible movie, but that's a story for another time. 
He also wrote movies such as Mr. Mom, The Breakfast Club, and Home Alone. But most importantly, my friends, John Hughes wrote Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And we will absolutely be talking about Ferris Bueller at some point, because not only is that film just a cornerstone of American culture, but it is also 100% a core memory for me. So we will absolutely get there eventually. The moral of the story is this. Even if you didn't know this, you owe John Hughes many, many things. So let's get back to Pretty in Pink. John Hughes wrote this film specifically with Molly Ringwald in mind. Now, obviously, she was the girl for teen movies at the time, like the star of the Brat Pack. So, I mean, it's not super surprising. So the main character, Andy, written for Molly Ringwald. So this allegedly makes the character and the actress very similar people. Just keep that in mind. So at this at this time that they were starting this movie, Molly Ringwald had actually just finished doing 16 Candles and she was tired of constantly being in demand in Hollywood. So she was actually going to turn down the role. Then she found out that Andrew McCarthy would be playing the love interest named Blaine. And since he was allegedly the dreamboat of the century, she was like, OMG, I don't even know the meaning of burnout. I will be on set yesterday. That's exactly what happened. So if you couldn't tell by the clear objectivity in my voice, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions about this whole situation. And don't worry, you're going to get to hear about all of it. Lucky, lucky you. So listen, my friends, if you are listening to this episode, I'm just going to assume that you have either seen Pretty in Pink and therefore understand everything that I'm saying, or that you haven't seen it, but you're okay with spoilers. Because yes, we will be talking about the film from beginning to end. This is the only warning you're going to get. The first thing that we're going to do is I am going to introduce you to all the major players in the movie, and then we'll go into a summary of the movie before we proceed to pick it apart very professionally. So let's begin. The main character in Pretty in Pink is Andy. She is a senior in high school with very unique fashion sense. It's established very early on that she's really creative. She makes most of her own clothes. She's also portrayed as a straight-A student who will be getting a scholarship to help her get out of her situation because, central to the plot of the whole film, Andy grew up very poor and on the wrong side of the tracks. The train tracks, my friends. Our next character is Andy's dad. He is the second character that you meet in the movie. Right off the bat, my dudes, you realize that Andy's dad isn't the greatest. Um, he loves Andy very much and he supports her wholeheartedly, but she's constantly having to nag him to do things like go to work or to find a full-time job or just to function like a slightly responsible adult. So we learn that Andy's mom left them several years before and it pretty much ruined him. So this leaves Andy to basically become the parent in the household. So even though he loves her and, and all, you know, we're, we'll just call him problematic, okay? Her dad is a little problematic. Now, the next character that we need to talk about is Ducky. You guys, my guys, my dudes, my people, my pals, my friends, my buddies, everyone in this city, in this continent, everyone on this planet, listen to me and to my words. It is time for me to introduce you not only to the best character in this movie, but one of the best characters in all of cinema. I said what I said, and I'm not wrong. It's time for me to introduce you to Andy's best friend, Ducky, played by John Cryer. The first time you meet Ducky, he's walking down the hallway at school, dressed head to toe in straight up perfection. A running theme throughout the movie is Ducky and Andy's style and how wild their outfits are, and they're constantly getting made fun of for it at school. But Ducky rolls on screen for the first time wearing a hat, sunglasses, a blazer over a vest, and white shirt and bolo tie. He is, quite frankly, the most iconic human being on earth. He really is. Like I said, he and Andy have been best friends since they were little kids. Ducky is 100% there for Andy in absolutely every way. He takes it upon himself to always make sure that she's safe and happy. He's always trying to make her laugh. He loves her so, so much. And he also happens to have romantic feelings for her, which does come up in the movie. But that's the briefest introduction that I can muster about Ducky because I could talk about him for hours and hours and hours. Ducky is incredible. I, ooh, okay, 
The next character, who is on the same level as Ducky as far as being a fabulous icon, her name is Iona. She is the owner of the record store where Andy works part-time, and not only is she hysterical and fabulous in absolutely every way, but she's also the closest thing that Andy has to a mom. She's always wearing crazy outfits. She doesn't take crap from anyone. She openly admits that she enjoyed the 60s a lot, you know, drugs, and uh, she has a bunch of pretty hardcore life experience, but she has the best heart in the world. And because she's basically a mother to Andy, she's always going out of her way to make sure Andy is happy and having the best that she can have. We love Iona, guys. We, we just, we love her. So the next character, because this character exists in the movie and is important to the plot, I'm going to introduce him. His name is Blaine played by Andrew McCarthy. He is the dreamy, swoon-worthy boy who Andy has a crush on, but something is keeping them apart. The bonds of their love are tested by money. Yes. The social situation of all the characters in this movie is actually integral to the plot. Both Andy and Ducky grew up really poor on the wrong side of the train tracks, and Blaine and all of his friends come from very, very wealthy corporate families. Blaine also has a crush on Andy, and he admires her from a distance until he finally gets up the nerve to ask her out. I'm going to pause here because um, Duncan found a squeaky toy. Okay, hopefully we got that taken care of. That, my friends, is Blaine. The next character, speaking of Blaine and all of his friends, we're going to move on to his best friend. His name is Steph, and Steph is played by the one and only Robert California, I mean James Spader. That's right, my friends. A young James Spader graces us with his presence in this film. Again, he is Blaine's best friend. He grew up in a family that's just disgustingly wealthy. As a result of this, Steph is wildly arrogant, entitled, snobby, and just kind of an all-around horrible person. And except for the fact that I've never been able to hate him, though, because he's just... He's strangely incredible, my friends. I actually adore Steph for everything he is, and it's just because he's so unashamedly awful. Like, I love Steph the way you love a good movie villain, like James Bond villains or Lady Macbeth. Like, you love them because they're evil. They're evil for the sake of evil itself. It's admirable. It takes a lot of commitment. Anyway, I love Steph, um, but he is genuinely terrible. He finds out that Blaine has a crush on Andy, and he proceeds to berate Blaine for his interest in her Interestingly enough, early in the film, Steph actually approaches Andy and tries to get her to go out with him. He tries to convince her that he wants more than sex, which isn't true, and she knows that, so it doesn't go well. But this is actually really integral to the plot because Andy turns him down when no other girl would. So when Blaine starts getting involved with Andy, it makes Steph mad because she is this, quote, low-grade person. He only ever saw her as an object, weird, for him to use, which he obviously didn't get to use. So not only can he not wrap his head around the fact that Blaine wants a relationship with Andy, not just sex, he's also mad that she's going out with Blaine and not him. And most of all, in Steph's eyes, Andy is not worth anything or worth pursuing because she doesn't come from money. So that's not great. Finally, let's talk about Benny. Benny is all at once important in this film and and not... I, it's strange. So Benny is kind of Steph's girlfriend. She is the female equivalent of Steph in school, basically. She's super gorgeous, incredibly terrible, very arrogant, snobby, and of course, just swimming in money. She's constantly bullying Andy because they have several classes together, and she really just wants to make her life miserable. Benny is an interesting character, actually, because you want to believe that there's something more to her, but there actually isn't. See, when it comes to Steph, you know that there is a person with a brain and understanding and even emotion. Understand all, like, underneath all of his facades, he understands things. But Benny, she really is just this shallow girl. Oh, no. Okay, we'll pause. She's just this shallow girl who only, Duncan, who only cares about money, popularity, and appearance. Like I said, Benny and Steph are basically boyfriend and girlfriend without any kind of commitment or true care for one another. So um, they've got a really healthy thing going on, really. 
So there you have the principal players in our little drama. Now that you are acquainted with all of them, we can move into a summary of the film. You probably have an okay understanding of it just from learning who the characters are, but now we're going to do a deep dive into the plot because why not? So the very first thing you see in the movie, the very first shot is a shot of the train tracks. And then the camera pans over to a rundown house with a pink car in front of it. Now, this car is obviously Andy's car. This is obviously her house. Since it's the beginning of the film, you're really just getting to know the characters. So you meet Andy, you get ready for school with her, you meet her dad, then she goes to school, you meet Ducky, she goes to class, and you meet Benny, who proceeds to bully her with all of her girl squad. Um, then Andy goes to work at the record store at the mall, which is called Trax. Um, it only just now occurred to me that that is a double meaning. And now my brain just exploded. Anyway, so she's at the mall at work. That's when you meet Iona. And then something completely incredible happens. Blaine walks into the store with incredibly unnecessary music announcing his dreamy arrival. He dreamily walks into the store, dreamily smiles at Andy. He dreamily starts looking for albums. He dreamily brings one up to the desk and proceeds to buy it from Andy. Now, the exchange between them goes like this. He sets the record down and he says, can I get your opinion on something? Andy says, maybe. Blaine, maybe. Hmm. And he points at the record and goes, this any good? Andy barely glances at the record and says, it's hot, white hot. Blaine laughs and smiles dreamily, of course, and says, good, I'll take it. Andy then proceeds to ring him up, tell him his total, and then says, cash or charge, Platinum Express, <laughs> dang it, American Express Platinum card, maybe? And then Blaine says, cash. So I totally messed up that line, but... Listen, this interaction is actually a little bit messed up because Andy's like so excited that Blaine is interacting with her and, you know, kind of making a move. But then she just throws in a jab about money. And yes, I messed that up a little bit. So I'm going to say it again. She asks him, is that cash or charge? American Express Platinum card, maybe? So Andy really like... <sighs> I don't, I really don't understand why she says that, but she does. So they have this little, this little thing. Okay. I'm going to try my very best not to give you a moment by moment description of the plot because this is supposed to be a summary. So actually one time when I was in the third grade, I was asked to write a summary about this book that we had read as a class and it ended up being like three pages long and I got in really big trouble. So that's a core memory that I have. Um, so I'll do my best to actually summarize. So eventually Blaine asks Andy out. She agrees to go. He says, Hey, I'll, you know, where do you live? I'll pick you up at home. But she's like, OMG, no, like, I don't want him to see where I live. So she tells him that she's going to be working at the mall that day. So he can just pick her up there, which is a lie. She is not working that day. He could have picked her up at home. So when he, when they're having this whole go out with me exchange, Steph actually sees them talking. So later he tells Blaine like he's all concerned because, quote, my best friend is conversing with a mutant. So, yeah, that's a really, really constructive friendship right there. We love that for everybody. Um, OK, so but listen, the day of the date rolls around and Ducky is actually under the impression that he and Andy are going out together that night. So she got in minor trouble at school earlier in the week, and he insisted on them hanging out together that weekend to make her feel better, even though she was fine. But because it's Ducky and he's incredible, he shows up at the record store and does this all out, just out of this world, iconic dance and song for Andy. And it's beautiful. It's Probably, in fact, no, it is the best scene of the whole movie. He just comes sliding into the store and does a song and dance for her. And it's it's actually really sweet and beautiful. But Blaine is a little bit late picking Andy up. So they think that he's late. And she and Iona are talking about getting stood up. And 
Ducky doesn't understand because he's like, wait, stood up. I'm here. Like, no. And but he could because he doesn't know that Blaine is coming. So Blaine shows up. And it's so sad because Ducky is devastated because remember, remember, friends, Ducky is in love with Andy. And he even spoke to her dad about how he wanted to marry her someday. And he's been waiting for the right moment to confess his feelings to her. So instead of this, he comes to pick her up so they can go hang out. And he sees this rich guy come rolling in to take her out on a date. And she's clearly really excited. And the look on his face is just, oh, it's devastated. And his heart is crushed. And he's actually massively concerned about her because in his head, all of the rich kids are like Steph. Like, he's never had one of the rich kids be nice to him. So... It's really, really emotional. It's super heartbreaking. He he and Andy have this whole discussion about how he's afraid and she shouldn't go out with this guy because he's going to use her and throw her away and, and all of this. And so later you see Ducky sitting by himself. He's sitting on top of a newspaper stand in the rain. So if you wanted your daily dose of complete and utter despair, you could just watch that part. That would work. Let's, let's pan to the date. Blaine and Andy go out on this date. And he takes her to a party, a party at Steph's house. Now, listen, listen to me, friends. I have no freaking clue what Blaine was thinking by doing this. Because before they get there, Blaine tells Andy that he wouldn't take her there if he didn't think that his friends wouldn't accept her. You know, He knows that there's a ton of crap that goes on in the school between the poor kids and the rich kids and all of that. And he's like, but hey, we like each other. I think we can rise above it. All of this is incredibly mature and wonderful, except for the fact that Steph literally already told Blaine exactly what he thinks of Andy, and and none of it was good. And Blaine still thinks that taking her to this party with all of his friends is a good idea. I don't understand. Spoiler alert, it's not a good idea. The party is a crazy toxic environment. Steph and Benny treat Andy like crap. It's really horrible, so they leave. Now, they end up at a bar that Andy frequently goes to with her friends where the bouncer is totally fine letting all of them in. So listen, earlier in the movie, Andy is at this bar with some of her friends who make it really, really clear that she should never even consider going out with a rich guy. You also learn that even though Ducky always goes with Andy to the bar, the bouncer never lets him in. So Ducky always just sits outside and hangs out with the bouncer and waits for Andy all night, and then they drive home together, which is just sweet and sad and horrible. But on this night, when Andy and Blaine get to the bar, Ducky is there inside the bar, and so is Iona. Iona told the bouncer that Ducky was her son, and he let them in together. Andy and Blaine sit with them for a minute, and Andy's like, hey, Iona, how did he get in here? And Iona says, I said he was my kid. And she says, well, what are you doing here? And Iona says, I've been trying to figure that out all night long. She's like, I don't know how we ended up here, but we're here. So they're sitting there talking and Ducky is acting rude. He is. And he's basically, he's really rude to them. And he basically says, hey, you need to leave. Listen to me. Listen to this, my friends. So Andy gets really, really mad at Ducky and he, and she calls him a bunch of names and tells him she can't believe she felt bad for him earlier in the night. And then she and Blaine leave. We need to talk about this for, for just a second, okay? What the actual crap? L listen, okay, I admittedly, Ducky was being rude to them. He was. But he and Andy have been best friends for their whole entire lives. She brutally broke his heart earlier in the night. His actions are pretty understandable, to be honest. But hers? No, no, no. She doesn't get to be mad at him for his fairly reasonable reaction to getting his heart broken by her. That's all I have to say. So, since this was clearly the world's best date, Blaine and Andy decide to call it a night. There's this whole dramatic moment about her not wanting him to take her home because she doesn't want him to see her house. Which is admittedly actually really, really sad. And um, in this little moment, though, Blaine does, you know, he, he gets past it. And, well, they she gets past it, really, because Blaine doesn't care. And he takes her home. Now, listen, in my very unbiased and extremely professional opinion, that is the best thing Blaine does in this whole movie. 
But anyway, I digress. He takes her home and she apologizes that the date was a complete bust. He goes on and on about how he had a, he'd have a great time with her, even if he was uh, being tortured in a prison. Endearment of the century, friends. You haven't found the one until they say that. But then, okay, something absolutely earth shattering happens. Blaine says to her, would it make you feel any better if I asked you to the prom? My friends, we have to address the prom thing. It's an 80s coming of age movie. Okay, so prom is a huge deal. And from the actually from the beginning of the movie, Andy is talking to her dad and Iona about prom and trying to decide if she should go or not. She's being very, you know, I'm not like other girls about it and acting like it's not worth it to go, blah, 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 until Blaine asks her to go to prom with him in that moment. And oh my goodness, the heavens part and angels are singing. Andy immediately kisses him in front of the headlights of the car. And then they proceed to engage in the cringiest kiss in all of movie history. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding, friends. They, the, oh, wow. It's, they don't, oh, it's bad. Okay, it's bad. I would try and explain to you how bad um, this kiss is, but that would make it worse. So anyway, Blaine asks her to prom. And this must mean he's the one. So she walks inside her house and her dad asks her, quote, so are you in love? She then says, yeah, I think I am. And then proceeds to talk about all the reasons why their relationship probably won't work. So we actually don't have time to unpack everything there the way that I'd like to. So we're just, we're not going to, but remember the moment when I told you that I wasn't going to give you a moment by moment summary of the movie. I'll, I'll try and make good on that promise at this moment. So Blaine and Andy are dating. They go on at least one more date. And on this date, instead of like getting to know each other and, you know, growing their relationship, they just spend the whole time talking about how they can beat the forces working against their love. So there's that. But one important thing that happens on this date actually is that Andy tells Blaine that if somebody doesn't believe in her, she can't believe in them. That's important. Keep it under your hat. And a few days pass and um, Andy doesn't hear from Blaine. She tries calling and he doesn't answer. She leaves messages and he doesn't return. You see a scene of Steph telling Blaine that if he keeps pursuing Andy, that he'll lose all of his friends and it's not worth it. Then you see more scenes of Blaine not answering Andy's calls and looking incredibly miserable. And then they're at school. And Andy confronts Blaine in the hallway. Now, he makes a bunch of excuses about why he hasn't called or reached out or anything like that. And he's, you know, very obviously being kind of shady and elusive, to be honest. Um, But then she asks him about prom. And he says... A month ago, I asked somebody else and I forgot. Now, see, when he says this, he says it very fast and very quiet. And when he says it, you'd like to kind of take a moment to be in awe of just his complete lack of a, of a backbone and complete jerk faceness for lying in her face. But you actually can't take a minute because Andy proceeds to hit him. That's correct. She hits him against the lockers and yells at him in the hallway about how he's this filthy liar and he doesn't have the guts to tell her that he's ashamed to be seen with her and to go out with her. Then she runs away and leaves school. And honestly, yikes. Okay. So after this happens, Steph approaches Blaine in the hallway And tells him that he basically, you know, he did the right thing because she's worth nothing and none of it was worth it. Blaine doesn't say anything. He's actually crying and he walks away. But who do you think heard Steph say that crap about Andy? Who? Yeah, that's right. Our boy Ducky, okay? Ducky heard Steph say all of this crap about Andy. He then tackles Steph on the floor in the hallway and starts beating the crap out of him. Some teachers come out of the classrooms and they pull them apart and Ducky runs out of school and he tears down a prom poster on his way out. It's great. It's, it's crazy. So my friends, what happens to our little band of teenagers after this? 
Well, I'll tell you. Andy runs to Iona's house to tell her what a jerk face Blaine is. During this visit, you find out that Iona has met a really great guy named Terrence, and she's totally in love, and you feel really happy for her because she's the best. But she obviously feels terrible for Andy because Blaine's a jerk, and um, she thinks the whole situation is absolute garbage because it is. But then she ends up giving Andy her old prom dress from the 60s, which is just... It's a beautiful dress. Let me let me just say that. It's a beautiful. But now it's time, my friends, to cue up the montage scene. Because that's right. What 80s movie would be complete without a montage? That's right. None of them. So we now get a montage of Andy cutting up Iona's dress, which is awful, and another dress that her dad got her in order to make herself a new prom dress. I'm going to just spend like a few seconds on this because um, it is a war crime that she does this to Iona's dress. Again, Iona went to prom in the 60s and her dress is beautiful and Andy absolutely wrecks it in order to make a dress that's quite frankly disgusting. But anyway, let's move on. So in this montage, you also see Steph, Blaine, and Ducky. All of them are either getting ready for prom or, you know, sitting in their bedrooms trying to decide what to, what, you know, what to do with their lives. You also see Iona. She comes over to Andy's house and helps her do her hair and makeup for prom. And then the montage ends with Andy coming out of her room, all ready for the dance, flaunting her newly pieced together dress that's supposed to just wow you with how incredible it is. I'm stuttering because it's awful, okay? You're supposed to think that this dress is some iconic, beautiful creation, and it's not. It's an absolute nightmare. But anyway, she then, you know, tells her dad that Blaine isn't coming to get her because it's over. Um, she's going to go to prom anyway, though, because, quote, I just want them to know that they didn't break me. And maybe that's the best thing Andy does in this film, honestly. So anyway, prom. We are now at prom, my friends. We're at prom. Guys, we made it. We made it to prom. We did it. Andy gets to prom a little bit late, so when she gets there, the hallway is empty, and um, she, she can hear music coming from the ballroom. She's trying to be super brave and walk in, but she doesn't know if she can. She's really nervous, and it's this little moment where she's like, dang it, like, I want to show them, blah, 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 I'm here to do this, and she just, she doesn't know if she can walk in there. But then what happens? What do you think happens, my friends? The most wonderful thing in the world happens, okay? That's what. Ducky appears on the steps in front of her, all dressed up for prom. He tells her that she looks stunning, and then he offers his arm, and into the ballroom they go. Because Ducky, my friends, is a freaking gentleman, and the best best friend in the world, and his love and devotion for her is beyond pure. And I'm emotional because I love Ducky, okay? So anyway, they decide to go into the room together and be brave. Then the camera pans over to Steph and Blaine. Listen, Blaine stands up because he's obviously going to walk over to go talk to Andy. And Steph stops him and he says, you know, they have to give her credit for coming after he dumped her. And, um, you know, even though her date is interesting, I think that's the word he uses. So he's about to just keep talking crap, but Blaine stops him. And he says, you buy everything, Steph but you couldn't buy her. And that's that's what really bothers you, isn't it? Because she thinks that you are the worst. She thinks you're crap. And deep down, you know that she's right. And then he just walks away. And you get this just brief moment of Steph sitting there taking in what Blaine just said and understanding that it's true. And then you the, the camera cuts over to Blaine, who walks up to Andy, and he tells her that he always believed in her. She just didn't believe in him. And then he confesses his undying love for her. He kisses her on the cheek and he walks out of the ballroom. So Andy and Ducky stand there in silence for a minute before Ducky, who is goodness personified, says to her, Andy, he came here alone. You're right. He isn't like the others. And then he pauses and then he says, if you don't go to him now, I'm never taking you to another prom ever again. This is an incredibly romantic moment and you're ruining it for me. Because Ducky's incredible. So Andy runs after Blaine into the night. 
But at this exact moment, an unbelievably gorgeous girl is walking across the dance floor and she sees Ducky. She very obviously makes eyes at him and he points at himself kind of like, like me, are you looking at me? And she nods. He then completely breaks the fourth wall. He looks at the camera and, and mouths, wow. And then off he goes to his happily ever after. And the movie ends with Andy catching up with Blaine in the parking lot and they share more cringy, awkward kisses. And that, my friends, is your summary of Pretty in Pink. Okay, so you know the characters, you know the story, you've watched the movie now. Let's talk about it. Throughout this episode, I definitely have not been stingy about letting my opinions show, but now I'm just going to let it all out, everybody. Like this, the, And this is what I would like to say. First and foremost, the real villain of this story is, in fact, Andy herself. Not only is Andy just completely insufferable in general, but she also treats everyone around her like garbage. I have receipts. There are so many people around her who love her and support her, and yet she acts like she's just all alone in the world. She's never had love and support, and she's only gotten where she is because of her own hard work, which is true. It is true. She does she does work hard. She is smart. She does try. However, she didn't do it all alone. She didn't. She had love and support the whole time, and she acts like she didn't, and it's freaking stupid. So on top of this, her absolute best friend in the world who has been with her through literally everything suddenly doesn't mean a thing to her once she gets the attention of a cute boy who she also proceeds to just flush down the toilet because she just assumes that he won't be able to hang on to their relationship. Did you ever? No, you didn't think. Okay, that's what I'm making. I'm making points here. Okay. Not one time in the whole movie does Andy ever think that anything is her fault. She never does anything wrong. She's also just really entitled in how she approaches learning new things or going through life. So I don't necessarily think Andy is an entitled person, but she literally thinks that she's the smartest out of everybody and that she doesn't have anything to learn. This obviously probably stems from having to focus so hard on school because a scholarship is the only way that she's going to improve her life. However, she was, uh, this fabulous trait of working hard and improving her life turned into something really toxic. So snaps for Andy. Let's talk about Blaine. For a really, really long time, I actually hated Blaine. Like he just seemed to be this weak little thing who didn't know what he wanted and couldn't deal with life. I have recently become a teeny bit kinder towards him. He was obviously overwhelmed with the amount of opposition he was facing regarding this relationship, and Andy was really sensitive about it, and she was just sure that it wasn't going to work, and so he didn't even have her to lean on when things got tough, so he gave in to the pressure. I guess that's understandable. I will never ever be a Blaine fan. I happen to think of him as the equivalent of a limp fish, but I don't necessarily loathe him anymore. And that, my friends, is growth. So, Steph. Steph is, as we've seen, actually a lot more complex and layered than you would first think when you get acquainted with his character. Don't get me wrong, okay, listen, Steph is absolutely insufferable, okay? He's, he's just, he's terrible, he's terrible. But I have more pity and potential understanding of him then I think I'm supposed to, to be honest. He's, he again, without a doubt, he is not a good person. He's not. He's meant to be the villain of the movie, and he does a very good job being the villain of the movie. However, in my head, he's not the villain, because Andy is, but I actually kind of have this soft spot for Steph. Like, could I ever be friends with him? No, because he's the worst. But there's something about him that's an exception to something. And that's, that's just the way it is, okay? That's the way it is. But what can we even say about Ducky, you guys? Like, what can you truly, what can you say about him? I have been as complimentary of him, of him as I could possibly be in this episode. And none of what I have said even scratches the surface of how incredible Ducky actually is. So, let me, okay, let me explain it this way. As I said, I've been watching this movie for a really long time. 
my sister and I love this movie and we watch it a lot. It was only in like the last, you know, a couple of years that we kind of realized something. Every time we watched this movie, we we felt massively unsatisfied at the end. And we like it I remember very clearly the day that we realized that in a strange way, we actually hate this movie. To be honest, like it's actually a little bit problematic. Truly, there's there's red flags at every single turn. But how can you love a movie that you kind of hate? How is that possible? I will tell you, Ducky. Ducky is the reason this movie has endured through the years. I believe that wholeheartedly. Ducky is the reason that this movie has been loved and cherished by so many. This story is really about Ducky in my brain. He's the real hero, the real main character. He's the whole reason this story even has the grounds to exist. Ducky is, without a doubt, one of the most fabulous characters in cinema. And again, he's the reason that this movie has endured past being just a teen flick from the 80s. It's all because of Ducky. Don't worry, my friends. We are not about to wrap up. Well, we kind of are about to wrap up. But before we wrap up, we need to talk about a few more things in this episode. So I've actually done a fantastic job in this episode of not explaining even a little bit why this movie is called Pretty in Pink. <laughs> so I get full marks for that one. Thank you. Anyway, here's here's the thing. Andy often wears pink. She has a pink car. The significance of this is that her mother always wore pink and looked really pretty in it. And even though Andy pretends not to care about her mom anymore and has gone past all of that, it's I think it's really her way of still staying connected to her. So throughout the movie, Andy wears pink in many important scenes, and her prom dress is also pink, of course. But that aside, we cannot talk about Pretty in Pink without mentioning the soundtrack. The music in this movie is so so good, my friends. And if you do any kind of research into Pretty in Pink, you will learn that this soundtrack was absolutely iconic for the time. It's considered one of the best movie soundtracks in history. It's considered a very, very influential movie soundtrack. It just somehow this little teen flick made a huge splash in the soundtrack world. And it really set kind of a trend, to be honest. And it's really, it's really interesting because other filmmakers started taking cues and getting inspiration, and it's just, it's iconic, okay? the There are these several different bands play at, at the bar that Andy goes to. They deserve their own little honorable mention because they are just, oh, chef's kiss. They are spectacular. We love, we love the bands in the bar. We love the soundtrack. It's incredible. Another thing about Pretty in Pink that you absolutely have to talk about is the wardrobes. Because, I mean, my my friends, let's face it. Besides Ducky, besides just Ducky, his character, the wardrobes are the best part of this movie. What's actually really iconic about this movie is that Molly Ringwald and John Cryer's wardrobes both cost a ton of money. Um, and all of the other characters were dressed from thrift shops, which is crazy because, as you know, in the movie, Andy and Ducky are constantly berated for wearing secondhand clothing, but their clothes are always just so awesome. At the beginning of the film, Ducky looks at Andy's outfit and he says, this is a very volcanic ensemble you're wearing. And she says, volcanic? He goes, oh, you know, hot, dangerous. So if you're like me and have the DVD... In the bonus features, there's this whole segment called Volcanic Ensembles, and it's about just the journey that the outfits and the wardrobe of this film went on because they're just, they're just so magnificent. They really are. The, the wardrobe in, the wardrobes in this film are incredible. Ducky's outfits particularly, but I also really enjoy Andy's outfits. There's this one scene where she goes to Iona's house and, you know, she's talking about going to prom and she's wearing this incredible green jacket. It's amazing. It's so, and then like a million bracelets. It's just, it's a really, really good outfit. And particularly Ducky's outfits. Like I would just, I would dress like him every single day if I could. I mean, technically I can, but I would like, and okay, don't even get me started on Iona's outfits because she's incredible. Iona's outfits are amazing. Just 
magnificent. Okay, let's move on from the volcanic ensemble. So we also need to revisit the fact that Molly Ringwald, um, she was not going to do this role. She was going to turn down this role until she learned that Andrew McCarthy would be playing Blaine. Okay, I'm I'm sorry, my friends. I'm truly sorry. But in what freaking world is Andrew McCarthy hotter than John Cryer? Like, really, truly, where? Where is this world? Where does this world exist? I don't want anything to do with it. It's more than I can bear. So it's... <sighs> there's, another, there's another thing that we have to talk about that ties in with this. It's actually maybe the most unfortunate thing about this entire production. The cold hard truth is that in the original script, Andy was supposed to end up with Ducky. Yeah. Yeah, my it's true. It's true. She was supposed to realize how strong their relationship was, how true his love was, and they end up together in the end. You know, because not only is that more than true, it's also just the way it clearly should have gone weird. Um, but no, guess what? I'll tell you. When they finished the movie, they showed it to the test audience, and the test audience was furious that she didn't end up with Blaine because he was just so cute. And on top of this, okay, there's this whole... Again, in the special features, there's this whole segment of Molly Ringwald talking about how she didn't feel that way for John Cryer. Their chemistry was much more friend, a brother-sister, but she had romantic chemistry with Andrew McCarthy. And it's like, girl, you are an actress, okay? It's not about your chemistry. Like, literally, your feelings do not matter, okay? If you agreed to the role and you are supposed to end up with Ducky, that's what you freaking do. Like, it just rubbed me the wrong... Like, I don't like Molly Ringwald. And I, and I especially don't like her because she was like, well, I just wasn't feeling it, so we had to change the script. Like, no, that is not how that works. Why, guys? Why? Why was literally everyone living in an anti-John Cryer world? Okay, I have cracked the code about the problems with the older generation, and it is this, everyone. They legitimately thought that Andrew McCarthy was cuter than John Cryer, and thus, here we are today. All of our problems can be traced back to this. I will die on this hill. Anyway... So, again, the feedback was so powerful and Molly Ringwald, Ringwald was so stupid that they decided to change the ending. So they actually had to come back a few months later and reshoot the prom scene and the whole ending, which is why, if you've ever seen the movie, you might notice that Blaine looks really, really bad at prom. Like, have you ever noticed how bad his hair looks? Like, he just looks miserable. Now, I always just assumed that this was like a reflection of his heartbreak and all of that. But really, I mean, again, it had been a few months since production had wrapped up and Andrew McCarthy was doing a play at the time and he had had to shave his head. So, yes, it's actually a wig. He's actually wearing a wig in the prom scene and that's why it looks so bad. And um, that, my friends, is why this film has a garbage ending and why Blaine looks not his best at prom. As we come to the conclusion of our episode today, my friends, the final thing that we need to talk about when it comes to Pretty in Pink is that it is without a doubt one of the most quotable films ever. Like, honestly, there are so many lines in this movie that I quote daily, that my sister and I quote daily. Like, I don't even know where to begin. We like there are the lines of this movie are just part of vocabulary. Like that's just the way it is. And this is obviously due to the magnificent writing abilities of John Hughes. It's almost enough for me to forgive him for creating a character like Andy. Almost. Almost. Um, the dialogue in this film is just incredible, especially the dialogue that you get from Ducky and Iona. It's just out, out of this world iconic. This movie has quotes that you can take with you to your grave, honestly. it's It might be what I love the very most about the movie. I think I've said that like 17 times, but it, <sighs> there are so many quotable lines in this movie. It's true. There's this one part where 
Blaine comes into the record store and he and Andy are talking. And then all of a sudden the alarm of the store is triggered and Andy runs to the back room to go see what's up. And it's Ducky. And he has, he has triggered the alarm and it's going off and it's really loud. And she walked in and he goes, hi, how's your day above the roar of the alarm. And it's hysterical. And we quote that all the time, all the time. Like anytime I come upon my sister and there's a loud noise, which happens all the time now that I'm saying this out loud. Like, okay, for example, the other day she was sanding something in the in our garage and it was very loud. And I walked in and said, hi, how's your day? And we laughed really hard because it's just beautiful. There are so many things about this movie that are quotable. Um, Iona, for example, one of her lines, you know, the line where she and Ducky are at the bar and Andy says, what are you doing here? And Iona says, I've been trying to figure that out all night long. It's just maybe it, when I'm saying these quotes, they seem like, okay, Jordan, those are like, that's just words. You're just saying words. I am, but they're incredible. And if you have not seen this movie, I highly, highly encourage you to go watch it because again, very quotable. And again, we love Ducky with our whole heart. We just do. He's incredible. And I mean, just wow, for real. So here we are, friends. We're at the end of our very first movie analysis. Now, I I want to admit something. I was actually afraid that this episode wouldn't end up being long enough to consider it a whole episode. I was. I was genuinely worried about that. But here we are. LOL. My outline is actually 10 pages long. So I think I did pretty good, actually, considering everything. Um, I'm quite proud of myself, really. Anyway, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for talking with me about this wonderful film, Pretty in Pink. Go watch it. If you haven't, go watch it if you have. It's incredible. I'd love to talk with you more about it. You can, yeah, go watch it. Just go do that. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at notstrictlyhistory underscore podcast. You can also shoot me an email at notstrictlyhistory at gmail.com to stay up to date on all the happenings or to request future topics or just whatever. Um, thank you guys so much for hanging out with me today, and I'll see you next time on Not Strictly History.